right, what else do we have over here? Let's see. David Lynch, I had found one of his here. And this is Twin Peaks, and uh, because I'm, you know, Johnny come lately, but I'm in the middle of watching the new Twin Peaks, all 18 episodes, which is even artier and more insane. And uh, I'm just amazed how he ever got it past the, the uh, studio that made it when they showed him the script. What? Huh? You know, so I'm a big fan of David Lynch, and uh, I was one of the first people that ever came out for Eraserhead when it first came out because I was promoting Female Trouble, and that's when we met. There's a good picture of David and I meeting in front of Bob's Big Boy when we were young. So I'm a big fan of David's, and uh, I love this one. I love this one, especially what maybe everybody else didn't like quite as much, but uh, to me, it's a uh, really good one. I haven't seen it in a long time, so it's one that I can watch twice. That was John Waters in the Criterion Closet picking the uh, movies that he wanted to take and talk about in that video. Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. This is one of several episodes I'll be sharing on uh, Thursday and Friday to uh, read pieces or play clips from podcasts and video essays that I've done in the past on Firewalk With Me. Okay, so in 2017, Firewalk With Me uh, joined the Criterion Collection the great prestigious uh, DVD, Blu-ray collection. And um, this was an interesting development because Firewalk With Me had been making a big comeback as like a part of Twin Peaks. And now this was also recognition of how for really even longer than that process, critics and scholars had been reassessing it as a great work of art. So I wrote this essay welcoming it into the Criterion Collection and talked about why I thought it was so important, even though it was, an, you know, basically the edition many of us already had in the entire mystery set or other forms. What is this movie? Is it a movie at all? Of course it is. And attempts to claim otherwise dissolve into babbling mystification, yet they persist, primarily because the TV show which Firewalk With Me descends from remains more legendary than the film, but also because the film itself is so abrasive and overwhelming that it makes sense to retreat into the most convenient explanation. This is a TV spinoff, and good or bad, it can only be appreciated in relation to the series. Furthermore, many viewers, probably a substantial majority, reach Firewalk with me after watching two seasons of a surreal soap opera, so it's difficult for most to entangle their disentangle rather their knowledge of the show from their experience of the film, even if the relationship is subversive rather than complementary. In a few weeks, I'll write about Firewalk with me both as a component of a larger story and as a standalone film, or perhaps several a lucid psychodrama, a formerly hypnotic art film, a hybrid slasher American giallo psychological horror flick, and an entry in David Lynch's own unique bigger-than-life, and certainly bigger-than-TV, filmography. For now, I don't merely want to isolate Firewalk with me from Twin Peaks, but to explain why it can stand side-by-side -side with the other titles in the Criterion Collection, which it officially joined two and a half weeks ago. Firewalk With Me needs defending not just for its place within a saga, or even as a bold rejection of that saga defined precisely by said rejection, still therefore dependent on what it negates, but as a movie movie, a piece of cinema history valuable on its own filmic terms. Firewalk With Me has always faced challenges with every opportunity, and the Criterion release is no exception. From non-fans, the reaction I've encountered has frequently been perplexed and dismissive. I checked out a few podcasts in anticipation of the film's release and was disappointed to be reminded that, despite the film's impressive advances over the past few years, there's still a lingering misunderstanding about what it is and what it achieves. 
It is simultaneously treated as a curiosity because of its roots in a TV series. Why is just one part of the story being released? Is Criterion planning to include other chapters of Twin Peaks eventually? And also written off because its relationship to the show is so fraught. Too Little Cooper loses the humor, you know the drill. Their eyes scan the title and stop at Twin Peaks, for better or worse. Often the latter even, or especially if they did like the series. Plus, the film's reputation precedes it, and while it's come a long way from being booed at con, sorry Robert Engels, but the press screening was booed, I wrote that in because Engels was saying, oh, the, the screening wasn't booed, I was there, but that was the more public screening, I think. And so anyways, back to the essay. And uh, it was ripped to shreds by Vincent Camby, but no film that was once slapped with the one of the worst films of all time label can completely shed this within a couple decades. This particular turkey is lucky to have flown even halfway out of the corn. Meanwhile, admirers of the film have questioned Criterion's choice here too, especially when other Lynch gems like Lost Highway remain hard to find in their best possible package. After all, it's not as if Firewalk With Me is unavailable in a pristine copy, though no one should overlook the financial incentive, not to mention the cultural connotations of offering a standalone release rather than forcing people to buy it as part of a larger package. A Lynch-supervised HD transfer of the feature film was already included in a deluxe Twin Peaks Blu-ray package three years ago, along with the Missing Pieces collection of deleted scenes, an interview with the actors who played Laura Leland and Sarah Palmer, and a collection of trailers. The only new bonus features on this release are interviews with Cheryl Lee and Angelo Badalamenti. While it should go without saying that the former is absolutely nothing to sniff at, Lee's discussion of this intense role is always moving and insightful, the second eye isn't uh, anything to dismiss either, as Badalamente's wonderful Mulholland Drive Criterion interview already indicated, and his live performance of The Voice of Love here confirms. On the other hand, several extras from that earlier blue set are not available on these discs, including the excellent Moving Through Time making of documentary, and an older, more befuddling documentary from the New Line DVD, ridiculously edited, but containing some fascinating interview fragments. Curiously, cryptically one might say, the segment of the Palmer family interview in which Lynch actually interviews the actors as the characters has also been excised. The booklet includes an interview already available in Chris Rodley's superb Lynch on Lynch book, and even the cover art only slightly alters the theatrical poster used for several previous releases, though I'm quite fond of the larger flames and slight reframing of the locket, which recalibrates the familiar image with the subtlety of a Lichtenstein. All in all, is this just for the absolute completists, or perhaps the presumably small number of fans who love the film but don't want to shell out the entire mystery deluxe set? Maybe. But from now on, when a budding young film enthusiast or a wizened old collector peruses the Criterion section while shopping for DVDs and Blu-rays, physically or virtually if the distinction matters, they will encounter Firewalk with me. This will have ramifications both direct Many will finally watch a film that they've been uninterested in, or rewatch it with new, appreciative eyes now that it can't be so readily dismissed. And also indirect. It will come up in conversations, sneak its way onto lists, colonize minds that wouldn't bother if it was just seen as a feature-length TV episode. Context matters, and reframing a presentation situates us in an almost subliminal ways. A Criterion Edition is a PR coup, and it comes at the perfect time, when Firewalk With Me is both riding on renewed interest in Twin Peaks and threatened by being swallowed up by the larger, occasionally obfuscating phenomenon. 
case in point is producer Sabrina Sutherland's revelation that Lynch would consider recutting the film and drowning Lara's portrait in a surfeit of town ephemera. Dismaying news that I'll write about further if and when it becomes more relevant. Hopefully never. This reinforces that Fire Walk With Me matters, and it matters as a work of art in its own right, not simply an addendum to something else. If its inclusion in the Twin Peaks box set of three years ago was the one punch, this is the two punch, even more vital to knock out the demons that dog it. We can certainly survey the collection and note the many correspondences Fire Walk With Me shares with other spines in the series, even while striking its own path. Laura Palmer's gruff, charismatic teenage rebellion, destructive, primarily self, even as it longs for love, gazes across the bridge of adolescence at its younger yet historically older correspondent, Antoine Duenel in The 400 Blows. Both move toward a final frozen visage, although befitting the three years that she has on him, or more likely the transcendence wrought from her traumatic death, Laura's freeze frame is wiser and more at peace than Antoine's. Like the knight in the seventh seal, Laura plays a game with death, and cheats her tormentor not by living, but by tricking him into sparing the lives of others. The cruelty of her abuse is at times as stark, if never quite as graphic, as that experienced in Salo, although her victimhood gains a defiant voice, unlike those pawns of a fascist elite, smothered as much by the film's coldness as their own brutal captivity. The dream time of the film, in which a bourgeois blonde teenage girl wanders off and disappears in a sun-dappled ether, what's with that Laura, suggestively linked to indigenous cultures, also echoes Picnic at Hanging Rock, without quite retaining Peter Weir's impenetrable ambiguity, no matter Lynch's love of mystery. And Federico Fellini, one of Lynch's most beloved filmmakers, whose deathbed he visited, captures a hint of Laura, however different, in his own world-weary yet perpetually innocent, and thus perpetually heartbroken, sex worker, the title character of Knights of Cabiria, who also cries tears of joy after what should be a final betrayal. And all that is without even moving beyond Criterion Spine number 50. Let's stop there, as the point is made in a paragraph. This film tells as riveting a story, carves as evocative an atmosphere, and, most emphatically, paints as vital a protagonist as any classic piece of cinema you care to contemplate. Besides, Firewalk With Me belongs in the Criterion Collection not only for what it complements, but for what it brings to the Formica table. This does have something to do with the complicated, tangled aura which at times holds it back. Because Twin Peaks leads people to Firewalk With Me in the first place, the movie is able to sustain a fandom which most two-hour features cannot. Somehow, this avant-garde exploration of incest, a movie acclaimed by no less an esoteric auteur than Jacques Rivette, who said, All I know is I left the theater floating six feet above the ground, a film featuring a ten-minute sequence during which characters must shout, subtitled, over a cacophonous dirge, can generate Tumblr gifs, pithy tweets, earnest fanfiction, and video tributes, and the adoption of screen grabs for avatars and icons across multiple social media platforms. I think this is an energy that art cinema desperately needs. If I welcome the bold, big-screen experimentalism that Firewalk Me shoves into the comfortably conventional universe of TV fandom, I also celebrate the cheerfully blunt identification and emotional immersion with which Firewalk With Me's fan following can saturate a film culture that's increasingly unmoored from its roots in mass enthusiasm. On recent rewatch, I was also reminded that Firewalk With Me, despite and partly because of its links to a genuine, if eventually rather cultish, pop culture phenomenon, remains a difficult film. 
imperfect, complicated, frustrating, never ready to be simply slotted away in its masterpiece status, however one is haunted by the lingering sense that it greatly deserves such plaudits. When the Deer Meadow sequence is a wonderfully bemusing sliver of its own, and both it and the more clumsy Cooper sequences provide a vital, subversive link to the series, cementing the film as a call-out of Twin Peaks' privileging of the male detective viewpoint, I've never been fully convinced that they actually work in the context of Firewalk With Me as a self-contained narrative about Laura's struggle to find her own truth. Lynch's narrative pivots in Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive feel much more natural, even if this provided a necessary antecedent to get him there. Even the Laura sections are messy. While Mary Sweeney crafts some beautifully haunting dissolves and juxtapositions, working toward a rhythm that will manifest most richly in her later collaborations with Lynch, she has to struggle at times to assemble the ill-fitting pieces. The high school sequences in particular are often awkward and ungainly. The Lynch-Engels screenplay provides enough of a template for the finished film to achieve greatness, but it reads as rather astonishingly sloppy on its own terms. A grab bag of impulses. Let's revisit all our town favorites. Let's expand the mythology. Let's show a living Laura. But wait, let's also find a part for David Bowie. And not only cuts, but additions, particularly the rewrite of the train car scene, were necessary to wrest a film from this mess, and just barely. The strain shows at various points. What bothered me immensely on my first viewing never quite goes away, even though my vantage point has changed. Lynch still flirts with the idea that a demon-made-me-do-it excuse is necessary to explain a loving middle-class father's abuse of his daughter, even as the movie challenges this reductive and frankly dramatically uninteresting reading at every turn. That Lynch's love of ambiguity actually represents a turn away from the show's evasive-possessive politics in this particular case is redemptive, but not entirely exculpatory of the fact that ambiguity isn't really welcome in a tale of parental abuse. Beyond this more fundamental compromise, the movie is imperfect in the way any real passion project is, and must be imperfect. Far from an intellectual exercise, Lynch practically vomited up this movie from his subconscious, a fever dream he was forced to share, even though it nearly destroyed him. As such, it is bound to be jagged and klutzy, veering wildly between impulse and duty within a ridiculously condensed production schedule, from concept to premiere in less than a year. As Lynch himself said to Chris Radley, it's as free and as experimental as it could be within the dictates it had to follow. Perhaps perversely, Firewalk With Me's flaws contribute to its gawky charm, an ugly duckling quality that makes one feel protective of the beleaguered property. The same is true of the bullying it received, all the more acute given the vulnerability it depicted on screen. Any vicious outcry against a deeply personal work is bound to incite a defensive response among those who appreciate its emotional openness, but this is all the more true when the narrative itself is about suf a suffering, misunderstood martyr. Both the actual and the misconstrued flaws contribute, along with the film's serpentine yes-it-is-no-it-isn't relationship with a larger Twin Peaks, to a never-diminishing fascination with the film's world. You can never come to a tidy enough conclusion to put it away and move on. Personally, the movie's raw, bracing power kept me from re-watching it for five years. I didn't want to impinge on the impact of that first viewing for as long as possible. Once I did return, however, I was never really able to leave. My hope for Firewalk with me in the future, to which I believe its inclusion in the Criterion Collection can contribute, is that more and more people come to the film without knowing Twin Peaks, and are riveted and transformed by its strangeness, its boldness, its compassion. I hope this includes not only dedicated cinephiles, keen on individual movies which capture your consciousness for their short duration, 
but also more casual viewers who aren't thinking about its place in the larger mythology or its contributions to the art form, but are simply transported by a story and a character who, however doomed, has achieved immortality. When I collected all these pieces, I forgot that I uh, basically pasted that whole piece into there, so uh, that was longer than I remembered, but uh, I suppose the reason I did that is because it actually touches on a lot of things that in this, I don't know, 11, 12 hour, however long it is podcast, um, didn't actually come up. Like, for example, kind of digging into some of the things about Firewalk With Me that could be considered flaws and also comparing it to other art films. Um, so, yeah, I guess it made sense to read the whole thing there, but uh, I was kind of surprised at I remembered that as being a short little piece that uh, led into my five walk, five weeks of uh, fire walk with me um, exercise that I was going to do on my site, which ended up getting like delayed for a year anyways. But uh, no, that was, that was longer than I remembered. So in 2018, I began my Patreon. Uh, and uh, I, this is actually more another person's work than mine. This is listener feedback from Lawrence Figgis on fairy tale connections with uh, Firewalk With Me, and I think I had some thoughts of my own as well, but just reading this comment alone was pretty fascinating. I wanted to bring this into the discussion here. In addition to the horror genre, I was thinking about Firewalk With Me's relation to literary fairy tales, especially to a Grimm story called The Maiden Without Hands, which reads almost as the brother Grimm pastiching Lynch, and a 17th century French story called Donkey Skin, filmed by Jacques Demy in a version starring Catherine Deneuve in 1971, I think. Donkey Skin was penned by Charles Perrault, the civil servant and intellectual, who wrote the most famous versions of Cinderella and Little Red Riding Hood. But this tale is not usually included in children's anthologies, because it engages very candidly with the subject of father-daughter incest. Marina Warner, in her book From the Beast to the Blonde, analyzes the donkey-skin tale in relation to stories of specific Christian martyrs, young women who were murdered by their own fathers. Much of this iconography recurs in Firewalk With Me, the train car sequence playing like a religious sacrifice, this quality being enhanced by the musical soundtrack in places. The martyrs discussed by Warner usually have long golden or blonde hair, as does the princess donkey-skin in the fairy tale, and is portrayed by Deneuve in Demi's film. A magic ring functions as a plot driver, symbolic image, in both the fairy tale of Donkey Skin and in Demi's film, which, despite its comic tone, is full of surreal touches, non sequiturs, and a brooding underlying menace. Demi was reputedly inspired by Jean Cocteau's version of Beauty and the Beast, which I think has also inspired Lynch. Certainly I can recall a side-by-side comparison of Firewalk With Me and the Cocteau Beauty and the Beast, both of which turn on the triangular relationship of father-daughter-monster and the father's sacrifice of his daughter to the beast. I think this analysis occurs in John Alexander's book The Films of David Lynch from 1993, if I remember right. Aspects of Cocteau's visual filmic language also remind me of Lynch more broadly. So that's a big piece of feedback with a lot to think about, and I'm mostly just going to leave it intact. I will say... um, in the link section, I'm going to attach a few links that I think are relevant to what Lawrence is discussing. And I love the contextualization of Twin Peaks and specifically Firewalk with me as, uh, as, as part of the fairy tale sensibility in a way. I think the Diane podcast has gonna, done a good job doing this at times. And uh, there's an essay that I'll link by Christy Desmet 
um, called uh, the canonization of Laura Palmer, which actually relates to the point about uh, the martyrs and the saints, uh, young women murdered by their fathers. So there's just so much to dig into here. And thank you so much, Lawrence. This is great. And I'm actually, um, because it was such a substantial um, in terms of length and, and just the, the breadth of topics covered, and I'm actually going to uh, put this in the headline for the podcast as well, just because, um, particularly because I would like to hear what other people have to say about these connections. And I had heard of Donkey Skin before. I can't remember if it was in relation to Twin Peaks or something else. But in the spring of 2014, when I was getting into Twin Peaks, I was exploring some literature about uh, fairy tales and their roots and things like that. And I'll link up to sort of the book lineup of what I was reading at that time. And you can kind of see that as well. So this is just connecting right to a lot of, uh, of, of topics and, and, and connections that fascinate me. So thank you for that. In a subsequent patron podcast, I chose as a topic Mark Frost connection to Firewalk With Me, something sort of unusual. I mean, to the extent that we said almost nothing about it uh, in this entire long podcast that I've that I've just been recording now, um, because it's it's sort of a indirect connection since he was not actively involved with it. So here are some of the things I said first, starting off with a long passage here that uh, is you know somewhat more about the show, but plays into Firewalk with me. Uh, a long clip talking about Frost's and Lynch's different conceptions of Laura. Lynch and Frost just come at storytelling from different angles. Frost is very interested in the social, um, the historical, the worldly, uh, you know, stories of the powerful and how they look, look at his film Storyville, his one feature that he made. It's about a political dynasty in New Orleans. And there is a woman who is like framed for murder in it, but she's sort of secondary to this, a uh, young man who's who's finding his place in this family and realizing the corruption that they've been involved with and everything like that. That's just where his narrative instincts are oriented. And Lynch is oriented somewhat differently, I think. So, of course, I used that quote at the beginning of part two of my Journey Through Twin Peaks series because I think it's just very, very telling about these two artists and where they come at their work from. And there's a fundamental difference there. I don't think you see that with Lynch and most of his other collaborators. I think there's more of a complementary relationship. What makes him and Frost so interesting, as I've discussed many times before, is they're so different. They really aren't that in sync. I think they were attracted to one another as partners because they shared a very similar sense of humor, just this sort of goofy, ridiculous, absurdist, over-the-top humor. And um, also a general sense, I think, maybe in mystery and... Um, you know, sort of quirkiness. And they definitely have this overlap. But when you go beyond that, there's something fundamentally at odds there. And you can see that in their earliest work. So this is now bringing us up to Firewalk with me. The reason I, you know, included that whole lengthy prelude is because I think that's very predictive of what happens with this film. Frost did not want to make this film. He felt like the story of Laura Palmer was the story of the town, basically. It was one person within the town. He actually writes in a preface to Jennifer Lynch's uh, Secret Diary of Laura Palmer when they reissued that book a few years ago. He wrote, you know, this is one story among the many in Twin Peaks, a candle flickering in the window. Just, you know, very evocative prose as as he's good at doing. And the the upshot of it is this idea that 
Lara's story is a fascinating one. It's crucial to Twin Peaks. Um, years later, he'll admit, you know, we should have stuck with that story as the linchpin of the show. I was I was wrong to stray away from it. But he still thinks of it as one story among many. It's not, not, not sort of the center, not the defining thing about Twin Peaks. And here I talk about Frost's focus on the missing pieces once it came time to uh, prepare season three without getting too much into what's in season three, but just Frost's interest in this aspect of uh, the Firewalk With Me mythos. And I think the first time Frost really got into Firewalk With Me at all was probably with Brad Dukes on his podcast uh, after the the return was announced. And at that point, he's asked about uh, Twin Peaks or Firewalk With Me, and he has an interesting answer. He focuses on the missing pieces. He says, well, I thought those really added a lot to the film and uh, just uh, filled in some interesting gaps. And he kind of shifts the conversation to the missing pieces, which makes me think a couple of things. Um, First of all, that he's still not really crazy about Firewalk with me. Um, Secondly, that he may not have actually even watched Firewalk with me since 92. I'm sure he saw it when it came out. You know, he's executive producer. It's part of Twin Peaks, this thing that he helped create. There's no way he doesn't see the film. But I I do wonder if he ever watched it again. And of course, the deleted scenes are much less about the Laura Palmer psychodrama and more just about this general world surrounding it. Like, I think in particular, Frost was interested in Philip Jeffries and the Owl Cave Ring these and the Blue Rose mythos. I almost forgot I also had a... Uh patron podcast section on an early draft of the Firewalk Me script that I was able to read back in 2018. And I looked at some of the ways it's similar to, but also different from the more familiar version of the script that's floated around online. It's mostly the same as that with two crucial differences. The big differences, both of which I'd kind of seen before, either in Twitter screenshots or in documentaries, was uh, for one thing, Cooper's name was in place of Chet Desmond in all of those scenes because it was still he was still intended to be that detective and it's true what they say they didn't change a, much of his dialogue which is funny cuz Cooper and Chet Desmond seem very different so i guess it's just how they you know how uh Chris Isaac and Kyle McLaughlin deliver the performance but these same lines are delivered by Chet Desmond that were written for Cooper and yet they seem like oh this defines a very different character it's just something interesting to reflect on and the big difference was that in the uh, sequence, I think, as part of the dream, yes, this is what it was, as part of the dream sequence, well, Cooper comes into, no, he's, he appears in Laura's bed. She turns over and sees him there, and then they begin making love, which is just bizarre. <laughs> so this was actually written into the script. John Thorne shared this on Twitter a while back, and people were kind of like, What? And I'd heard something about this before as well on like some old message board. It just seemed like such a strange scene. And Laura says to him, I wish I had it right here in front of me, but she says something like, why, did, why didn't you save me in time or something like that? And so kind of interesting. That's the direction they wanted to go. And I guess when Kyle McLaughlin said he wasn't going to do it, they rewrote it to be Annie in the bed. Because um, otherwise, most of the surrounding scene is similar, but Annie is not in the script. There was there's a lot of stuff that's been talked about as part of early firewalk walk with me drafts or conceptions like there's something with the 1950s and the Eisenhower inauguration. There's bugs crawling on a formica table and maybe it has something to do with like 
when the lodge creatures kind of ended up in twin peaks which of course in the return we get sort of a different spin on that i i'm like con- not convinced but i suspect that stuff was never like written i think it was or maybe you know there was a few notes or scattered uh outlines or something i don't i don't think most of the stuff they talk about and especially garmin bosia being a planet of creamed corn and all of this kind of lore i feel like most of that never made it to the page four ways to watch firewalk with me i was preparing as early as 2017 and then uh, i finally delivered it about a year later in late 2018 and uh was able to explore firewalk with me through basically kind of um prism i guess you could say where i would hold it up a certain way and look at it in a certain light so here's what i wrote in the introduction for that, David Lynch's Twin Peaks Firewalk from the 1992 is a confounding experience for many viewers because it can be so hard to contextualize. Cinephiles may feel too alienated from its connections to a TV series to appreciate its qualities as an art film. Horror enthusiasts may be tripped up by its reliance on surreal experimentation over genre tropes. Lynch heads may be perplexed, perplexed by its raw, grisly intensity, its ingredients less balanced than they are in other equally strange entries in his oeuvre. And Twin Peaks fans may be the most bewildered of all. This is all the more true if those TV viewers came to the beloved ABC series, thanks to soap opera, sci-fi, or quirky comedy, but are unfamiliar with the more abrasive works of its auteur. Haunted for many years by its undeserved bad reputation, the Twin Peaks prequel wandered in the wilderness like a lost soul a film without a home. The truth, however, is not so much that Firewalk the Meat doesn't belong in any of those contexts. In fact, it belongs to all of those contexts. If the movie doesn't fit neatly into any one category, it still spills over into many in deeply fascinating ways. Here are four ways to watch Firewalk with Me, each gripping on its own, but even richer when viewed in conjunction with the others. And I already recorded uh, readings excerpts from the... Uh, these sections in previous podcasts so i'll just play each of those in turn uh apologies for you know as you've noticed with some of these older audio clips um hopefully things have gotten a little better over time but uh, this is as an art film then as a horror film then as a lynch film and then as a twin peaks episode and there's also a little more at the end of my reading of the horror section where i use a segue into what my film topic was that week which was halloween talking about that film's connection to Firewalk as well. So I'll leave that little code in. That's not a reading from the essay, but feels relevant. Ray Wise's terrifying mood swings, often conveyed in unsettling close-ups, strongly recalled Terry O'Quinn's In the Stepfather, another film about a father figure suspected by an only child, a teenage girl under his authority, who knows he's not what he seems. Laura's haunting nightmares, which allow her to pass between her bedroom and other realms in a way that makes reality and dream hard to distinguish, easily mesh with the dreamscape of A Nightmare on Elm Street, another film about a gleeful, taunting, supernatural murderer, visually embodied as a social outcast, who preys on a traumatized but resourceful high schooler. The most basic narrative of Firewalk With Me could be described, succinctly, if crudely, as the stepfather meets a nightmare on Elm Street. Lynch's long treks down ominous hallways, traversing empty domestic settings as if they contain otherworldly booby traps for the fragile but determined protagonist, remind us of Polanski's eerie shots and repulsion, 
another film about an isolated young woman facing a psychological crack-up as she fends off the predatory men who encroach upon her, experiencing inexplicable nighttime assaults by a stranger in her bed, suggestively linked to repressed family abuse. And Firewalk With Me's valorization of the heroine's psychic power, its conviction that only she can solve the film's initial murder and frustrate the manipulations of dangerous adults, jibes nicely with Phenomena, another film set in an isolated region, surrounded by woods, where a potential victim must become the detective, while conventional male authorities fall short. Phenomena's arm's-length, eccentric resemblance to Firewalk With Me feels uncanny at times, in its exploration of the connection between a lonely girl and a reclusive, brilliant shut-in, whom she chooses to guard her secrets, in its images of the heroine sleepwalking through gothic corridors, and particularly in the unexpected appearance of an ape as a girl fa- faces murder near the end of the film. Cameron Claudier, whose show Obnoxious and Anonymous I've appeared on a lot as a YouTube channel, uh, he actually recommended looking into Nightmare on Elm Street 4, which this essay doesn't even mention. It just focuses on the first three. But he said uh, parts of Firewalk with me reminded him of Nightmare on Elm Street 4. It almost seemed like the first part was like a remake. Uh, or the Firewalk with me was like parts of it were like a remake of Elm, Nightmare on Elm Street 4. And I can see why, because there's like this like, sort of iconic image of this young blonde woman wearing a, a young blonde teenager wearing a sweater kind of holding her books close she's walking down the sidewalk and her boyfriend kind of calls out to her and they're all walking to school together and then she finds out she's gonna die she's doomed to die because of dreams she's having and it is really like similar as i said i want to kind of bleed into the next film and focus review by talking about firewalk with me and its similarity to halloween that's not something i really discuss at all in the essay except i, I think i briefly mention it but this firewalk me really as a horror film it really taps into the mode kind of established by uh, halloween even to the point where just the shots of the character you know i mentioned this in reference to nightmare on elm street 4 too which is probably drawing on the same source but this this teenage girl high school student walking down the street with like her books you know they're not wearing a backpack they're just carrying like these books and talking to their friend and joking around, but there's a kind of a menace in the neighborhood. And of course, Halloween, you know, they the, the menace isn't just suggested, it's shown uh, in pretty memorable shots. So we'll use that to move right on into Halloween. Halloween night. A small American town. 15 years ago. Each film emphasizes a different fragment of the Laura collage. Adriana, Stephanie Sandrelli, in I Knew Her Well, conveys the same mixture of world-weary allure and confused, corrupted innocence, at times a woman, at times still a child. Veronique, Irene Jacob, in The Double Life of Veronique, suffers from a fragmentation of her identity, a sense that there are multiple versions of herself that she's only dimly in touch with. In this case, her doppelganger is the deceased Polish singer Veronica, also played by Jacob. Nana, Anna Karina, and Vivre Savie, reflective and restless, longs for a pure love while navigating the jumble of exploitation and agency in her day-to-day sex work. Suzanne, Sandrine Bonaire, in A No Samours, is a bright, popular adolescent exploring her sexuality as her family life dissolves. Most notably, she has a complicated relationship with her abusive father, who can turn on the charm one moment and lash out at another. 
The film's director plays the father and employs unusual methods. At one point, he burst into the scene in the midst of shooting, shocking the actors who had been told his character was dead. Lara even seems to fuse the two halves of Persona, which itself teases this fusion before conveying it through a literal split screen near the end. Elizabeth, Liv Ullman, is an aloof, mysterious, and silent, all performance, all the time, aware she is being watched and withholding whatever haunts her, much like the iconic Lara of the series. Alma, B.B. Anderson, is confused, self-doubting, and veering between spiteful cruelty and desperate dependence. Closer to the human Lara we meet in the film. Firewalk With Me's relevance certainly does come into sharper focus when viewed through the lens of Lynch's later work. Comparison with his next film, Lost Highway, can be revealing. After attempting to include both the FBI, initially emphasizing Cooper, and Laura in the same film, because he wanted to continue the TV show while also going where it couldn't, Lynch crafted a dual narrative. Lost Highway morphs into a story whose bifurcation is the central conceit, as it will continue to be in most subsequent films, rather than a necessary mishmash. After being forced to balance the psychological motivations of Leland with the spiritual machinations of Bob, because the series had leaned heavily on a supernatural explanation, Lynch invents the Mystery Man, a monster who, from beyond, is called from within, growling, it is not my custom to go where I'm not wanted, as the creature behind the diner and the phantom could also claim. And after being confronted by the insufficiency of a male detective when depicting a young woman's trauma, because what had, necessar- had been necessarily abstract in a police procedural must now be depicted firsthand, Lynch creates a dual male character as desperate as Henry and as vigorous as Sailor, yet clearly a self and other destructive anti-hero. In later films, he would abandon the masculine hero, anti-hero altogether, and fully identify with the, quote, woman in trouble, as he already had in Firewalk with me. So first off, there's the pilot. The connection here is obvious. As I wrote, unsurprisingly, or maybe surprisingly, given that it has the greatest chronological distance from Firewalk with me, this premiere episode features by far the most elements that are answered in the movie. This is due to at least three factors. First, as a prequel, the film must lead directly into the events of the pilot, whereas by the finale, the plot had largely wandered in another direction. Second, Lynch often cites the pilot as what it's all about, and he was clearly keen to return to this environment after such long detours. Third, Lynch and Engels have specifically mentioned revisiting the pilot while writing the film, whereas it's unclear and possibly unlikely that they viewed any other episodes. And at the same time, as I was coming out with all these Firewalk Me pieces that I'd been preparing for a long time, I read the Firewalk Me book by Lindsay Hallam, and I interviewed her and uh, talked about the the influences on Firewalk With Me, influences of Firewalk With Me, and other aspects of her book. Here is an excerpt from the interview. I said to her, I love the way you're in dialogue with a lot of the authors, particularly John Thorne and Martha Nockhamson. I was wondering as well, not just in terms of the analysis you read, but also learning about the history. What was the biggest surprise for you in this research process? And she answered, a lot of people thought that David Lynch was just repeating himself. That was a surprise. In context, there was that whole thing at the time when David Lynch became so well-known. He was on the cover of Time magazine. Maybe there was a bit of Lynch fatigue setting in, and people felt like they knew what he was doing. It was almost like he was doing the shtick again, which obviously I disagree with. So that was one thing. The reason why I thought it was rejected was actually not the reason it was rejected. Another surprise I found was something I mentioned in the book when I'm going through the scene of Laura's murder. I was looking at an interview with Frank Silva, who played Bob in Fangoria, and he was talking about filming that murder scene and how they ended up filming it on Halloween night. 
On that night, near Washington, a woman had been murdered, and her name was Teresa Briggs. There was this strange confluence of events and feelings happening around that murder scene, a weird art-imitating-life-imitating-art thing. And I said, I'd never heard that before either. I had heard the fact that Halloween was Silva's birthday, which is kind of funny, but I'd never heard the darker part, the murder happening at the same time. Now, obviously the book is in a horror series, Devil's Advocate. Did you want to write a book about Fire Walk With Me as horror and seek them out? Or did you get in contact with them about writing a book for the series and decide to do it on Fire Walk With Me? And she said, I was aware of the Devil's Advocate series and John Atkinson, who is the editor of the Devil's Advocate series. He was at a conference that I was at. So I went up to him because I remembered looking at the books going, I want to write one of those. He said to email a pitch, so I pitched him a couple of films that I wanted to write about. Fire Walk With Me is at the top of that list. And he got back to me saying that of the four I get of the four I gave him, he was really interested in either Takeshi Maiki's audition or Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. And I emailed back immediately saying I wanted to do Firewalk with me. My research background is in horror cinema, and I've always felt like the film was very much a horror film. There was a piece online that the critic Mark Cromody put up a few years ago. He mentioned that he loved the film, that he felt it was one of the great modern horror masterpieces. So I remember thinking, okay, well, I'm not the only one who thinks this. I realized that was the main hook that I really started with. How is it a horror movie? And then from there, I also wanted to bring in another theoretical aspect that I'm interested in, which is the area of affect. And I said, yeah, that was really interesting. She continued, I teach a module called Cinema of Affect at the University of East London. I'd also taught on a class that is about memory, and we do a lot about trauma theory. A few years ago, I wrote an article about torture porn horror films and post-9-11 trauma, so I was familiar with this whole area of trauma cinema that emerged. Trauma theory. Certainly Firewalk With Me fits into that category as well, the way it makes you feel. You have this visceral response to what you see on screen, the strangeness, but also the connection to Laura Palmer and what she's going through, her trauma. Those are all the different things that were in my mind about the film that I wanted to explore. I said to her, in the book, you do a really good job explaining the idea of affect and how it pertains to watching film. For readers of this interview, can you give a very quick rundown of how you use that theory and those readings of cinema and what affect means in those terms? And she said, in terms of film theory over the past few decades, there's been a lot of work, especially to do with horror and with David Lynch, that looks at those films through a psychoanalytic lens, going back to Freud and Jacques Lacan. In response, there's been a turning away from that way of looking at films and trying to think more about how films are felt, how they are experienced as a bodily event. You have these very visceral responses, and then you might start to think about what it all means. So it's not so much about what does this mean, but how does it make me feel? There's also more of a focus on the image, the idea of foregrounding the image over the narrative, and also how other senses are evoked through vision and sound, through the cinematic medium. It's this different way of thinking about cinema. I always say to students, in some ways it's quite a difficult thing to grasp at first, because you're trying to put into words things that are before words, or before language, or beyond something you could put into words. When I think about my own love of cinema, it's all about the experiences that I'm having. Certainly with horror cinema, it's all about that feeling that you get, that exhilaration that you get from watching the films. In 2019... This will be our last uh, touchstone piece focused on Fire Walk With Me uh, until these podcasts. I recorded uh, for patrons an episode of my Twin Peaks Cinema series on La Dolce Vita, and I talked about the similar structures between the Federico Fellini film 
and uh, the David Lynch film. So here is a passage from that. Both La Dolce Vita and Twin Peaks Firewalk With Me, the Twin Peaks film, are structured around this idea, again loosely, of seven nights, and seven days and seven nights, where we see a character kind of go through a trial of the soul. And there's very interesting parallels emerge when you look at it that way. Of course, there's the first part of Firewalk with me where with Chet Desmond and the Deer Meadow investigation. That's just worth noting because I think Chet Desmond is probably the character who's the most like Marcello. Aloof, cool, but a little lost. And also, of course, he's played by a singer, Chris Isaac. David Bowie's in the film as well, Julie Cruz. And we have Nico in La Dolce Vita. And Anita Ekberg, who's not a singer, but a celebrity playing a celebrity, uh, almost sort of playing herself. And so there's these weird sort of meta-celebrity music connections, I guess, with these two films. But really, the Laura Palmer mystery is what we're focused on. This, the last seven days of Laura Palmer, as they were called in this original script. And it's worth noting that it actually takes place over eight days in the film. I think there's only seven days shown, but there's like a missing day in there. And uh, likewise with La Dolce Vita, it's... Seven days is sort of the core narrative, but there is an eighth day at the end as a, a prologue. So neither one is exactly seven days, but they do line up interestingly. And both of them, uh, I think their dramatic escalation is different. Uh, Firewalk With Me is building Laura's personal journey throughout each scene, kind of leads to the next. There's a building capacity, even though it's episodic. La Dolce Vita is more of like an equal rotation through these different scenarios. I'm not sure there's as much growth. There's a dramatic flow and rhythm to it, so you wouldn't really want to rearrange the sequences. They're in the right order, but it's more like sequencing tracks on an album. Now, since this podcast material was recorded for patrons back in 2021, August, so really less than a year ago, nine months ago, I guess, even since then, I've created some work that uh, ties in directly to Firewalk with me. So I thought I would mention that here before we get on to the missing pieces material to round out this Firewalk with me section. So first of all, I started my series Twin Peaks Conversations in September. One of the people I spoke to was Scott Ryan, who has written a whole book about Firewalk with me. So here's a sample of that conversation. And I just think it's true. Like if you think of the Laura Palmer that we know in Firewalk With Me, and you think of Laura's theme, it, I mean, it doesn't really go together. But but theme from Firewalk With Me, or calling it She Would Die For Love, I mean, that does. And to me, that is the genius of Angelo. I mean, he knew that. He understood his job for what his job was in scoring the pilot, which was to make us feel sad for someone that we don't know. And that song does it um, versus scoring the living, breathing Laura Palmer, which in my opinion, the best Twin Peaks song ever written was theme from Firewalk With Me. I just think it's so complex and has so much in it and I could listen to it forever. And it's by far my favorite track ever. What would your favorite track ever be in the Twin Peaks? Uh, world. I'm putting mm. you on the spot. Don't you yeah. love how I'm asking no, I mean, you questions? I've thought about it. I think I've even ranked them at some point. Um, I believe I put Harold's theme at the top. Just something about that feels like it captures just the kind of quiet, sad mystery and intrigue of the show in a way that almost no other piece does and there's so many good versions of it too i love the living novel version 
that they play on the uh, atmospherics blu-ray menu when they do the montage of the town like all the different spots so that one has a lot of that one evokes a lot for me i think half heart is also way up there too like it's it's sort of right on the edge of being almost like too uh sentimental maybe is the word but it, it mm. it's just it's so purely it's it it wears its I, I, no pun intended it wears <laughs> its heart on us on its sleeve in a way that i think totally justifies it and it's used pretty sparingly but that's another one where like when i was making my video on on firewalk with me or one of the the one that was um the seven facts about twin peaks firewalk me which was like my most um viewed video and all of that uh, i had a different piece of music for each of the seven facts and the one that ended it was um after talking about how twin peaks or firewalk me subverts twin peaks and all these differences i said it also fulfills twin peaks and i show a juxtaposition of the scenes from the show with the scenes from the film that kind of call back to it but almost feel more deeply rooted like okay we saw jacques cabin on the show as a crime scene now here it is with with them there with laura on her last night and i use that theme half heart because of that quality the way it's like it comes well i guess it comes from on the air but you know it comes mm. from the film and yet um in a way it feels like it was there before everything on the show like it's more fundamental like we're going back to the root which is how fire walk with me feels in general i think it's uh a prequel in like the deepest sense of the word where we feel like we're uncovering what was already always there um even though it's also fascinating to look at the ways it builds out of twin peaks i also spoke in february 2022 for the anniversary of when fire walk with me takes place in february of 89 i spoke to courtney stallings who wrote a great book laura's ghost um curated by herself also you know she wrote much of the material but she also interviewed people and uh, talked about uh, Laura Palmer specifically through the lens of Fire Walk With Me, which is why I'm mentioning it here, the way that took us into her life and her trauma and her story and how that resonates with so many women. It's all uh, women from the fan community and a few of the actually collaborators on the series, like um, uh, Sabrina Sutherland is interviewed and uh, Grace Zabriskie, uh, who plays Sarah Palmer, which is great. And uh, she also talked to Cheryl Lee, who plays Laura. So here's Courtney talking about her book in that conversation we had in February. So I'm curious for you, when you started this book, it was kind of just a few years into that process. Did you see a change like while you were assembling this in the broader community in terms of how Laura and how Firewalk Me was viewed within Twin Peaks? Yeah, no, it did change. And, and, and the way that I could tell you it changed was not just like my friends who I hang out with. It was um, being on Twitter too. You know, I've been on Twitter since 2009 and followed a lot of Twin Peaks yeah. people, you know, since I, as you, you know, like you and, and other people. And, um, and I saw the conversations begin to change, uh, around the time I was doing my book, I really noticed, and it's interesting you talk about, um, you know, the, the Blu-ray that came out, uh, with the missing pieces. Um, cause I think you're right. I think that does kind of encourage people to look at the, the bigger picture and, and really engage with fire walk with me and the missing pieces kind of stands on its own as like a separate film that you can integrate with that. Um, but there, you know, for me, it was, there was something going on in the zeitgeist and uh, it was before like the resurgence of the Me Too movement, but there was something in the air or something going on where so many women and other people were starting to talk about um, sexual abuse and harassment and 
my and I think my book was kind of coming out of that era and it was before Weinstein and before we were having really big conversations but there was something going on at that time in the larger you know zeitgeist and then I think Twin Peaks kind of became part of that too where more women were speaking up in the Twin Peaks community about what Laura meant to them um, even men too were saying yeah I, I've been through some stuff and Laura meant a lot to me I've had several men come to me and say you know, I really value Laura Palmer um, because of what I went through. And, you know, I think there was just something going on at the time. And then my book was kind of, you know, riding along that wave of whatever it was. Um, and it felt really good to be talking for me personally, to be kind of talking about these issues. And um, at a time where people were starting to feel more comfortable talking about them, it's still uncomfortable. It's still, you know, taboo to a certain extent but not like what it was. And, uh, you know, I think Twin Peaks is one of the interesting things about Twin Peaks is it's, you know, you kind of bring what you are to it. And so it can be Cooper's story. I mean, absolutely. And, and I love Agent Cooper. It's not like I don't, you know, divorce myself from that character, but it was nice to see people approaching it from different ways and also elevating Laura's story and elevating Firewalk with me too, as you were saying. Um, that you were felt like you were in the minority, you know, for so long that movie was kind of pushed aside and now it's finally getting recognition. Around that time, I also recorded a podcast for patrons, which I'm right now releasing. In fact, it came out two or I think, let's see, two days ago on my uh, public Twin Peaks cinema feed. And that was comparing the sweet hereafter to all of Twin Peaks, but with a particular focus on Fire Walk With Me, uh, uh, particularly with a character in that who uh, was also abused and uh, has that connection to Laura. So I talk about that in this uh, excerpt that I'm going to play. Again, this just came out days ago on my Twin Peaks cinema feed, so make sure to check that out. I feel both of these films in very different ways deal with both the ambiguity and the clarity surrounding, uh, I think, particularly like incest between a teenage daughter and her father because... Uh, in Twin Peaks, it's more, you know, it, it exists more on this kind of allegorical plane in a way because of the figure of Bob, obviously much more so than in something like The Sweet Hereafter. But I think both films toy with this idea of the father conceiving this, you know, quote unquote relationship as somehow like a consensual love affair or something. It's much more subtle and kind of off screen in Twin Peaks, but there's elements of there, I think. Uh, for example, when he says, I always thought you knew it was me. Well, what's the implication of that is that he thinks she's sort of in on the knowledge of it, that this is a secret they share. And they talk a lot about the secret in the book, The Sweet Hereafter, uh, how she now owns his secret now that the accident has happened somehow. There's a great interview with uh, with the actor who plays the father on the special features. Uh, it's actually not even an interview. It's like a 40-second Q&A, but something he said I thought was very profound and reminded me of at least how I read the Leland Laura thing of Firewalk with me, which is, uh, he says, uh, he has a daughter who speaking about his character, he has a daughter who grows up a lot more than he ever did or ever will. And she's the one who makes him actually confront this thing. And I also have upcoming work, which is already set up to go that deals with Firewalk with me. I'm going to have a Nicholas Ray focus looking at the films directed by him. And one of those is bigger than life which has a close connection to Firewalk with me in its main character who becomes megalomaniacal under the influence of the drug cortisone and has a lot of uh, similarities to Leland Palmer there. Other people, Tony Diub, 
uh, film critic for Cinema Viewfinder, has uh, noted that connection, wrote a whole essay about it in the past. So I, I dig into some of that in this podcast that's coming soon. Uh, already recorded for patrons back in the summer of 2021, actually the same month that I recorded most of this Firewalk With Me material. So it comes from that same period, but it'll be released to the public soon. I said that I was going to mention the obsession with milk. I suppose that's a good point to get into us. It is throughout the film. Uh, he's uh, he's giving it to, or he's denying it to his his child until he finishes his homework. And he looks at the milk at one point at the dinner table to see that the the level is lowered. So he knows the wife gave the son some milk, just this kind of, of deranged behavior, controlling behavior. Um, and that is a connection in two ways. First of all, the milk in Fire Walk With Me, where Leland is drugging Sarah, forcing her to take the milk. Uh, that becomes kind of an image that we see in there. I think that's the only time we really focus on milk in all of Twin Peaks. But then she sees the white horse, which, of course, you know, that, that connection there. Um, whether that's connection to drugs, death, whatever, there's just the visual connection to the, uh, to, the, to the milk. And then also just the behavior at the dinner table, of course, is very reminiscent of uh, Fire Walk With Me, where he's screaming at Laura to wash her hands. Same sort of obsessive attention to some little detail whether it be the milk or the dirt under the fingernails and demanding that it be rectified i mean i just i can't overstate how similar this character in his manic state and controlling state is to leland palmer there's just an incredible uh, connection there next month's twin peak cinema which closes out a, a three-month uh, section called Tra traumatic transformations deals with the film Mysterious Skin, which also connects to Firewalk Me's theme of abuse and sort of taking a supernatural reading of it in a way that, that helps people deal with it psychologically. Here's a clip from that. It, it reminds me of how in Mysterious Skin, there's a great scene early on with Wendy and Neil standing in a drive through beautiful scene. This movie really captures a kind of a beauty of a small town life, even though it's about characters who are frustrated and stifled and suffering in that environment. It also captures the poetry of it extremely well. Wendy, the character, puts the audio device up to her ear where you would listen to the soundtrack of the film if you were in your car. And she says she can hear the voice of God. And then it begins to snow on them. And she has a line where she says that her and Neil, they could be standing there watching a film about our lives, everything that's happened so far. And the last scene would be us standing right here, just you and me. And that, I think, brings me to the most hopeful, happy ending, if you will, of Twin Peaks, of that ending in, in Fire Walk with me, with those two characters, however they got there. As Hussein Ibish has written about the idea that Laura is seeing Twin Peaks in that moment, that that's what the off-screen flickering is, seeing her life turned into a work of art, that they're watching the film of their lives, and they're standing there together, just those two. The archive will continue later today with another episode covering the missing pieces and works that I've done in the past on those, uh, reading, you know, continuing that, that reading and uh, clipping. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also support this work on patreon.com slash lost in the movies. advanced and the children followed that we're all citizens of a different town now a town of people living in the sweet hereafter